The views and opinions expressed on the Poor Ass Podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of BME Recovery Content Productions. Any content provided by our guests are of their opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. And on that note, enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. I have a new website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes. That's www.poraspodcast.com. So if you hear vcomedy.com, that is the old website. Go to www.poraspodcast.com for episodes and enjoy the show thanks for listening thanks for supporting bye welcome to poor ass podcast the show that talks about tough shit on a budget with your host veronica porus Welcome, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Poor Ass Podcast, the podcast where we talk about living a more sustainable life while on a budget. Today's guest is Dr. Peter McGraw, a behavioral economist, business school professor and bachelor, host host of the podcast Solo, a single person's guide to a remarkable life. His solo clubs on Clubhouse are home to more than 200 200,000 members as the director of the Humor Research Lab and two-time author of The Humor Code and Stick to Business, McGraw speaks at Fortune 500 companies, public events, and universities around the world. Thank you so much, Peter, for coming onto the podcast. So My for, pleasure, Veronica. Yeah. I, I sound mildly impressive when I hear my bio back to me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, So for the listeners, how I discovered um, Peter, I came upon his podcast when I was researching for my Christmas um, special single bells that I interviewed with a fellow friend in recovery, uh, Jessica Varma. She's on episode, I think, 50. 52, I want to say, but check out that episode. And that's how I came across Peter. I was researching if there were other podcast episodes about single people or single stuff. And his podcast was very like specific and targeting solo people, people living the single life. I'm like, Oh, what is this? I listened to a couple of episodes and, um, you know, this is one of the things that I'm really grateful about the podcast universe is that if if you're a person like struggling with whatever is going on and people aren't talking about it, like search podcasts, mm-hmm. so just search for whatever, whether in re- your recovery, like I was trying to find other podcast episodes about single 
and and Peter isn't the only resource, but his podcast was very like what I was looking for for my the podcast. best resource, yes. really. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's such a comprehensive <laughs> like podcast where it just talks about just it's not a podcast where it's like okay, like it's not treating singleness as like a fix or something something to fix. It's like it's like it's a celebration. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. a calling. Like I've, I've had, like, I've never been in a position where like someone called me their girlfriend or I, their boyfriend. I've always been like drive through relationship, like Mm -hmm. type, type thing. Trauma has to do with it. And, but besides that, if even when I'm healing from, from the trauma, the more I am recovering and healing and, and I'm living a thriving life, the less need that I have to like find someone. I don't like dating apps. Mm-hmm. And um, in my own discovery, I'm, I'm a demisexual woman. And so my connections is very emotional intimacy, like, like focused, which dating apps have the adverse effect. So every mm-hmm. time I was on dating apps, it was it was just like I would get more depressed and more discouraged and it's like well something's wrong with me and I didn't have I didn't have language to to describe like what my orientation was um, growing up in growing up in the 80s as a kid in the 80s a teenager in the 90s there was this um, gay lesbian by trans like that was it that's all you had mm-hmm. there was no such thing as demisexual until I came into like I discovered it on urban dictionary. So with that com- uh, combined to like, like, is there, is there resources for the single person to be like, like, you know, as you said, celebrate. And that's what, in my view, how I feel about Peter's podcast solo, that's what spoke to me. And I reached out to you like, Hey, do you want to be on my podcast? Which I'm super excited. You said, yes. <laughs> well, I'm saying, I mean, I don't want to, to diminish this. I'm saying yes to anyone at this point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, uh, what's the, I'm promiscuous. I'm, I'm promiscuous with podcasts. Thank you. Point. Thank yes. you for being promiscuous. I've come across <laughs> some guests that they they don't want to be on my podcast because I don't have enough downloads. Yeah, you're too and... small. You're not, no no podcast is too small for solo at this moment. <laughs> I I, I want to get the word out. We're starting a movement. Cool. I'm gonna I'm I'm getting Peter right when he's available. This is awesome. Um, so I, Peter, your your solo story, and you've been very like adamant and passionate about like you know, your personal message and being, being solo. So how, why are you single? (laughs) (laughs) It's this, okay. To the list. That's such, it's like a, such a patronizing question. And I hate having asked that question, but for the purposes of this episode, which is solo on a budget, why are you single Peter? (laughs) Uh, besides my good fortune, (laughs) (laughs) I, um, that's, you know, it's a long story. The short version of it is 
I was, I think I was destined to be a lifelong bachelor at age 15. And I remember this distinctly. I was sitting around my lunch table and it was a, I felt lucky to be part of this lunch table. It was a group of smart, funny, charismatic guys. And the topic of when you were going to get married came up, not if, when. And I remember saying, I probably won't get married till after, after I'm 30. Now, by today's standards, that's not no big deal. But back then, the average age of first marriage was 25. My parents already had two kids at 30. Um, almost everybody got married. You know, I knew one guy in my neighborhood who was older and not married. His name was George, and he drove a Trans Am, and he, and he grew weed in his backyard. I think I'd be friends with George today. Um, (laughs) but I, I just, it wasn't, it just never felt like the thing that was a path to a remarkable life. As I would say, um, you know, my, you know, my upbringing did not resemble the rom-coms, the, the love songs and, and the Jane Austen novels. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't a happy, you know, an angry mother, a, a sad father, a divorce, and so on. And so I just didn't see it as this path, path, excuse me, I didn't see it as this path to bliss that many people do or, or trick themselves into believing. And so that coupled with me being a bit of a late bloomer when it came to girls, um, it just was not a kind of fluent thing for me. And, and what happened was as, as I started to thankfully get some um, footing when it comes to intimate relationships, dating, girlfriends, falling in love, those kinds of things. It just still never felt right. I never really wanted children. That made a lot of those relationships really fraught. And I would say that that in my 30s, it really started to land. So at age 34, I threw myself a bachelor party with, <laughs> with no engagement, no girlfriend, a celebration of my bachelorhood. The best kind of bachelor party with featuring a truly eligible bachelor. And at 38, I had a pretty heartbreaking breakup around this idea. I didn't want to have kids and the woman I was in love with did. And that caused the end of the relationship. And I remember a moment in time during that heartbreak where I realized, you know, I'm really happy with my single life. Like I didn't, I no longer saw coupling up as the solution to my particular set of problems. And that opened the door for me to, to release myself from that goal Mm -hmm. and to provide time and energy and focus on other things. And as you were reading my bio, all of those things happened after age 38, you know, the, the the door swung open, so to speak. And I decided I was going to use my middle years to make stuff and to have adventures rather than to build a family. And to be honest, the, the shortest answer is it agrees with me. I'm, I'm, good at relationships, but I'm also good at, at singlehood. And so I can move between the two of them at this point, quite adeptly and happily. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't see them as, um, it's not a step. It's just a different path. So I don't, I don't elevate my romantic relationships to be higher than other relationships or even higher than, than my own relationship with myself. Yeah. I, in, in looking over your, your website, 
you're you're a scientist. You're a behavioral scientist. I was looking mm-hmm. at your your body of work, and solo is quite the pivot from what you were doing before. So what was that fork in the road like? And did you see solo coming already, but you wanted to do like stick to business first and, and you were, you basically were studying comedy from like a scientific, from a scientific standpoint. Mm -hmm. So how did you go from that to, to solo? Cause that's quite, that's quite a pivot. It's a, it's the biggest pivot I've ever made. I felt like pivoting from sort of pure behavioral economics into comedy felt big. This was monumental compared to it. And it happened. It was interesting. It, it's not something I never set out to be an advocate for single living. I never set out to reshape my entire professional and personal life around this topic. It actually started much more quietly um, I was going to take a leave of absence from my academic job. I call mm-hmm. it my mini retirement. And I, and I, of course I could do that because I'm single. If I had kids and a wife, you're not taking a year off, no salary to just live and play and try new things, you know, to, to try on retired life as a 50 year old. And I, but I knew that I wanted to do creative work. I knew that I wanted to continue to write or, or make stuff but I, but I wouldn't allow myself to do any academic work because that would be irrational to do academic work while you're not getting paid uh, to do it. And so I had this idea of I was going to write a, a, a kind of memoir of sorts about turning 50. And then I realized, well, it's really a book about turning 50 as a bachelor. And so then it started to turn into this kind of how-to guide. And then what ended up happening was I was like, oh, I know what it is. I want to write the thing that I wish I had when I was 25, Mm. right? I wanted to write, I wanted the resource that I had while I was struggling to understand why it didn't quite fit and why I, why the world didn't quite work for me in terms of relationships and so on. And then I decided I'm a much better talker than I am writer. So I, I was like, Oh, let me just do this as a podcast. And I launched it with, with great trepidation. Um, the early, I think you can hear the, the, in the early episodes, a lot of uncertainty and, and a lack of knowledge and understanding and almost, a tiny, I wouldn't say apology because I've always wanted to, to frame the podcast as unapologetic, but it took a while for me to find a voice. And then early last, excuse me, late last year, I just did the full pivot. I'm like, I'm all in. And I, I pivoted the website. I changed all my socials. And I just made this project 95% of what I'm doing. And, um, and the reception has been positive and it's, um, and it's changed me totally. Yeah. Well, this solo is grateful for that pivot or else I wouldn't have found like a community and, and something that's been resonating with me even more so since I found your podcast is like, do I want a community or do I want a relationship? And it's like, Oh, I want a community. And I don't know if I'll ever like have a boyfriend or, or, or whatnot, but you know, wherever I go, there I am. And so knowing in my heart, like I know like a relationship isn't going to, to fix, fix me or Mm -hmm. like all the loneliness that I have, isn't going to come from that 
relationship. Like the relationship is just um, extra. And um, so it's like just having, you know, I, I recently joined the solo Slack community and I introduced myself and like all these little hearts and likes and like, oh, I totally resonate with what mm, Veronica posted. It's like, oh, I found another tribe that I could connect to. Just like, you know, when I got into recovery, it's like, oh my God, there's all these people that were affected by drugs and alcohol. And I thought I was the only one. Mm -hmm. And like finding that instant connection without going through hurdles or, you know, I'm in another like single Facebook group and it's, um, it's, it's not, it, I mean, at least I was like trying to find it. It's not really like resonating with me. Whereas, you know, the solo Slack solo community, it's like, okay, this is a lot more like, like fitting, even though yeah. the face, the Facebook group that I'm in, um, you know, the, the rules of the group was like, Hey, not everyone here is looking for a hookup or to date. Mm -hmm. They're looking for support. And that's what I was looking for. I was looking for support. But even in that in that group, it's not really like supportive, supportive. Whereas on the the solo Slack, it's like it's it's so different. It's completely different. Like, oh, I feel the support here way more than I was feeling in the Facebook because I'm just really looking for support. Like, you know, the Fifty Shades of Grey of like single single living, like the ups and the downs. And sometimes days are really bad where the loneliness just like grips my heart. Mm. And I'm just like, have a panic attack. Like I'm not going to find anyone. It's just like, you know, it's the, you know, my brain attacks itself. Like you're not going to find anyone. And it's like, I don't want to, it's like, and I'm listening to those thoughts. Okay. Like where's the community where I could just go on Slack. I'm like, Hey, I'm having a bad day. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, 30 people could get on that. And it's like, I'm feeling that too. It's like, okay, I'm not alone. It's just like my brain attacking itself. <laughs> I'm it's often not... surprised by the number of people who say exactly what you just said to me, which was, I don't feel alone anymore. Um, and so for some people, they live in places where they're the only real single person. They really feel like the black sheep. Yeah. And um, and so the nice thing about the, the community or even just listening to the podcast is you can you can find like minded people. You can find topics that that really resonate. Um, and I, I think that too often the narrative is couple up, solve your problems, live happily ever after. Mm -hmm. And um, that's not right for everyone. That's not easy for everyone to do. Um, and. I, I don't think it's necessary nor sufficient to live a remarkable life. And so I want to provide a kind of positive outlet. There's not a lot of complaining that, that I like to do with regard. I, there's a lot of humorous complaining, I would say, but there's not a lot of complaining. And I, if anything, I really have focused the project to be more celebratory and, and, and not apologetic and, um, and just providing a, a different path for people, whether they're going to be single for now or forever. Mm -hmm. uh, time, time, the, the concept of time or spending time comes mm -hmm. up to mind as a single person. Cause some days it's like, Oh, I have all the time in the world. And some days it's like, a, I, I, I don't mm -hmm. because I'm putting a lot of time into things of like, 
okay, you know, right now I'm, I'm single. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And with me, like how I function, if I, if I, if I put effort in dating, it never works. It never works for, for me to like put myself out there. Like, no, I don't want to put myself out there because it stresses me out. And I have find that like some of some of the great guys that I've I, that I've met have been serendipitous and just me focusing on me, like not For even sure. give, giving a shit. I mean, like give a shit, but it's like I'm I don't have that psycho desperate look in my eye. I'm like, hey, just like which is why I'm in recovery, you know, seven, seven, 17 years to like focus on things that, you know, what what's going to make what's going to make me, what do I want to do? Like, what does mm-hmm. Veronica want to do today? Like, Oh, I want to go for a walk or I don't know. I want to like, you know, research more, um, a better way to record podcast episodes remote remotely <laughs> 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 or talking to you or like finding, finding guests. I'm picky. I'm, I'm very, I'm picky on, on the guests that I bring to my podcast. I so like, you'll, you'll talk to anyone, but like my podcast is very niche and I talk about living a sustainable life while on a budget. It's not a get rich quick type of podcast at all. It's like re changing mindset on not just finances, but what like there's mo- emotional budgets, there's physical budgets, like mm-hmm. as a solo person or a single, single person, it's like I have, I have a lot of time, but I'm, learning and deviating my time into things that's not going to like hurt me more because you know being affected by um I grew I grew up in an alcoholic home so with that it's like okay my my examples of relationships was was negative and so I was dating those type of guys. Since I'm in recovery and been in recovery, I've learned to um, attract like friends, partners that are able to engage an energy exchange or engage in a way that's helpful, supportive, and 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 healthy. Mm-hmm. So it's like focusing in your approach approach to time, like how do you know that your time is in, is invested wisely or you're, you're wasting time in terms of like, like I would be wasting my time putting myself out there, getting, going on dates and like whatnot. It's like, that's not a good use of my time. Mm -hmm. Like for me, the good use of my time is I'm, I'm super active in my recovery community. I'm super active in creating in creating recovery spaces that are accessible to young people because young people seeking recovery from being affected by the family disease of alcoholism, it, it just isn't there. There's, there's a need. Mm-hmm. And I, if I was in a relationship or if I was like, you know, seeking the guy, the one, the soulmate, like I wouldn't be able to invest that time into creating these recovery spaces for young people. And like, that's more better use of my time. So how, what's your approach to time? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm um, I'm a creature of habit. I have my routines. I call them rituals. Um, my beats throughout the day. Um, I'm I'm fortunate. I'm an academic, and so I have a lot of control over my schedule. At least when I'm not teaching, and um, I'd say oh, an overarching principle that I have is that I I let my emotions guide my decisions. That is when things feel good, I lean into it. And when they don't feel good, I, I lean away. And so for example, um, I do date, I'm an active dater. I enjoy, I enjoy dating. I, I do it. I do it non-traditionally now. I'm not looking to ride what we call the relationship escalator and that, and I've been, I've been really honest with my dates and my, my communications on the apps and so on. So I find myself kind of sort of wasting less time, wasting other people's time less also, um, because they can pretty quickly figure out that I'm not the solution to their, you know, to their problems. Mm -hmm. And so if the dating is going well and, and I'm enjoying it, I lean into it. And if it's not, I just, I just take a break. You know, that's one of the beautiful things uh, about single living is, you know, it's dating's like a faucet. You, you know, you get thirsty, you turn it on and <laughs> Not thirsty anymore. Turn it off, and um, that that metaphor operates on a couple different levels. <laughs> but <laughs> um, I, I, you know, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you the beats of my day, and it, in many ways, it, it really captures um, what's important to me. So um, my sleep is important to me. So I, I, you know, I get to bed at a decent hour on a kind of regular basis. I work very hard to get my eight hour sleep. Um, I think that's a good foundation for for a, a really vigorous life uh, that I live in, which I, I may work long hours. I'm on the go constantly. Um, I get up, I'm as quickly as possible, kind of getting to a coffee shop, a cafe, to have a cappuccino and do my creative work. And, and so I do my best work in the morning, typically, in a, in a kind of vibrant um, space. Um, that might be prepping a podcast, writing, any, any number of kind of creative endeavors. It used to be almost purely writing, but now it's, it's taken on a, a lot more that's there. Either before lunch or before dinner, I'm working out. Um, I've made a commitment to try to get stronger this year. And so I'm, I'm actually doing sort of old school lifting weights. Um, but I'll also, you know, go do a sprint workout, do yoga. I do these move with joy workouts when I'm kind of low energy mm -hmm. and so on. Um, and then, you know, I, I usually another bout of creative work in the afternoon. The creative work is really the fo primary focus of my day. So it's, it's um, creative work, movement, and then play. And so um, sometimes the play takes the form of kind of, um, you know, taking a, a little edible at night and doing some more far out kind of writing and stuff. Mm -hmm. It might be hosting a game night. It might be going um, to a comedy show or a burlesque show or going out on a date um, you know, and so I try to have, again, as I said, sort of kind of this intellectual, this physical, and then this sort of pleasurable element to most days where the first two are not optional. And the third one, the third one is. Mm -hmm. And so your pot, your podcast, your podcast launched in December 26, 2019. Mm -hmm. And it's still going on. We're in the year 2022 now. What what taboo topics that pertain to single people that 
you've already covered on your podcast or any topics that that you want to talk about on your podcast? Yeah, I mean, I boy, I have there's so many. I mean, I didn't know what I didn't know when I started, you know, and so I joke that in the land of the blind, the one eyed man is king. And so on episode, you know, one through five, which I launched that week, um, it felt like I knew a lot because this is a topic that, that doesn't get discussed very much. Mm-hmm. Um, the process has opened up my eyes to a whole range of topics that I never considered, a whole range of lifestyles that I never considered that I now find myself living. And so I think one of the places to start, if I can, Veronica, is this concept of the relationship escalator. And so some of my my episodes have covered this, some some specifically and some indirectly. And that is, it's really important to contrast single life to to its opposite, in a sense, um, in order to then figure out if it's the right fit for you. Mm -hmm. And so the relationship escalator, we're all familiar with it. And it's, it's kind of traditional dating. It's the LTR, you know, it's the, it's the ride or die, you know, it's the, (laughs) it's the thing, you know, that people, um, most of the people on the apps are looking for. And, you know, you, you date, you, you know, you probably have sex, you define the relationship, you become monogamous. Eventually you move in, you merge your lives, merge your lifestyle, your finances, probably getting married along the way, at least in America, maybe you have kids, maybe you don't. And this follows a path consistently until one of the members dies. And that is considered a successful relationship. If one of those things is not present, at best is treated as curiosity, at worst as a moral transgression. And that's a powerful idea to understand that path and then also to understand the hallmarks of the relationship escalator, which are sexual and romantic monogamy. So it's two and only two people Mm -hmm. um, are allowed to be romantic and have sex. They're not allowed to have romance and sex with anyone else. It's hierarchical. That relationship is more important than any adult-adult relationship that you have elsewhere. It trumps all others. And then it has this notion of consistency um, where it begins at some point. You don't take breaks. And if it ends, it's considered a failure. Mm. And I think that um, that works for a lot of people. As I like to say, I'm not anti-marriage. I just think it's overprescribed. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but I also think it's very difficult to do and I don't think it's right for everyone. And so one of the things that I, I notice is people are single for one of three reasons. Generally they're single. What I, they say, I like to say they're single by chance. That is, they want this, but they can't do it for some reason. Maybe they live in, you know, they live in some place where they just, there's not an available dating pool. Maybe they have some profound problem, you know, that makes it difficult for them to date, to be appealing. Um, You know, there's, there's these different reasons that people struggle with this. And and it's part of the reason I I launched the podcast because the podcast is about living a remarkable life. Mm -hmm. And so what, what I want people to do is to work to elevate themselves. And if they want to then have another partner or partners, they will become a more appealing partner. So we talk a lot about health 
And we talk about living this creative life and living a vibrant life and living an honest life. There's nothing sexier than honesty and confidence, I, I believe. The second group are people who are single by choice. That is, for now or forever, they're not interested in a relationship, right? So maybe they've turned the tap off because yeah. they've got a big project. You know, maybe they turn the tap off um, because they're heartbroken right now. Or maybe they're they're what Bella DePaulo calls single at heart. You know, they're loners. They just, it's just not important for them to have romance or intimacy um, in this in this kind of way. And um, that's a big group. So half of American adults are not, excuse me, half of single American adults are not interested in dating or a relationship at the moment. So for any of your listeners who are in that category, it is totally normal to be single and to want to be single, but there's almost no conversation around it. So people feel guilty mm. about it. They feel like there's something wrong with them and there's nothing wrong with them. It's actually as normal as it is to want something else. And then the last group, and I, I think I fit into this last group the most. And I call this, so we have single by chance, single by choice, and then I don't have a great name for it. So if you have it, let me know. I call it single by mismatch. Mm. And it's this, I, I like to have sex and I like to have romance. I like to date, um, but I don't, as I alluded to earlier, I don't want the relationship escalator. And when I look at the challenges that I would have in my relationships as a younger man, it's because I couldn't provide all of those things. So I didn't want to have children. And so that's a deal breaker for a lot of people. And when I'm really honest, and I am now, I don't want to live with someone and I don't foresee that changing. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to merge my life with someone else. I don't want to merge my finances. I don't want to merge my living situation. I don't even want to merge my lifestyle in the following way. Like if she wants to take a vacation on her own, I don't feel diminished by this. Oh, same. You know, and you know, so like I can now date someone who likes the beach and I can like the mountains and that is not threatening to the relationship because someone has to compromise in order for us to be happy and to be together that's there. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is, I'm just not sure that lifelong monogamy is the right recipe for me. And so I, that's not a never say never kind of thing, but I'm just, um, I'm just not sure that's quite right. And so now when I date, I have these conversations early. I have, I have information on my dating apps that, that, um, either allude to this or, or very clear to, to it. And, um, what ends up happening is I now have a better set of matches where the people who want to ride the escalator avoid me and I, and I, um, and, I, and I am then attracted to and attractive to really unconventional thinkers, fellow single by mismatch types. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Same. I, I think the, the older, the older I get, well, first of all, when it comes to, comes to age, like, you know, I'm, I'm 43 you're you're in your 51 51 mm -hmm. well i mean living living as single as i am 
Like people think that I'm 29. You look like you just turned 45. Oh, you're very kind. So, <laughs> so it's like, like, I don't know. It's whatever heteronormative, like monogamous, whatever narrative that's been projected onto mm -hmm. singles since like forever. You can't just like, you can't just like, you can't deny that there's something going on in this setup where it's prematurely aging you. Cause I've seen couples or in relation, I'm like, you look old. Like what, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> I, yeah. I think, I think if you give up a growth path, <laughs> I think if you stop trying and it, yeah. and by the way, the relationship escalator allows you to get really lazy, really fast yeah. because, you know, monogamy, by the way, monogamy is a perverse thing because the definition of monogamy is that you are not allowed to have sex or romance with anyone outside of the relationship, mm -hmm. but it doesn't guarantee that you have it within. <laughs> Nonetheless, people generally do. And because it's there, they, you know, they have to stop. They don't have to keep trying in that, in, in that way. Mm -hmm. And so I do think that there is something, and I, I talk about this a lot with sort of young men who are struggling to be appealing. And that is you got to learn to compete. That is you have to learn to elevate yourself because for better or for worse, it's a market, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and people are going to be drawn to people they find attractive. And if you're not going to put in the effort to be attractive, to be interesting, I often say be interesting, be interested also in the world, you know, that's sexy. And, um, and, it, and this goes well beyond looks, you know, this goes about how people carry themselves and how they, how they see the world and how they, they interact with the world that's there. And I, I have to say, I do to, to finish answering your earlier question, I have been tackling some more controversial topics. So I didn't anticipate how much I was going to talk about relationships on the podcast, but I do because of that group that doesn't fit the normal escalator mold. So I have an episode about unconventional relationships. I just did a series on unconventional relationships where I talked and it, it was a little spicy. Things got a little heated on the, on the solo community, um, about seeking arrangements about sugar, sugar daddies, sugar mommies and sugar I, babies. I listened to that episode. Yes. Yeah, that really. triggered some people. I, I did an episode on friends with benefits. Mm -hmm. Um, I even did a, a couple episodes on singles and their pets. And the idea essentially is, is you don't have to default into this one particular type of relationship, find the, find the thing that you want, and then find the people who want that also. And as I like to say, don't be afraid to ask for what you want. And I think the average person doesn't want to ask for what they want because they're afraid, A, they're going to get no, or B, that they're going to get judged negatively for it. But what they forget is that people will often really, even if they are disagree, they're going to respect that you are willing to ask for it. Yeah. And if you yeah. don't ask for it, you're not going to get it. Yeah. And um, so now I ask for what I want and it's, uh, it's really wonderful when you get a yes. 
Yeah. Uh, side note, uh, for a person who grew up in the family disease of alcoholism, you are not, it's culturally not acceptable for you to ask for your needs. I see. So, so if you're listening to it, to, for the listeners who are listening to this, or if you're new, um, having trouble communicating your needs, that could be something to look into. Like that's what I've discovered as a person in recovery, doing the inventory work. Mm-hmm. A lot of my challenges of like, why can't I just ask this? And in my and it and the challenges even more so when it comes to my most intimate, close inner circle relationships. Mm. Yeah. So isn't it funny how that could be the most threatening and yet those mm-hmm. are the people who should be the most receptive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you're growing up in an alcoholic home, your inner circle, the people in your inner circle were also the abusers. Mm, you know, like yes. the, the caretakers were also the abusers. So mm-hmm. not, I mean, I'm not minimizing my own trauma. Like that's where it stems from. I was just thinking about this before I logged on to record this podcast. Like, you know, if the first, and I heard this in a meeting where the person, um, the person was talking about and, um, this particular person experienced physical abuse by her alcoholic mom for the first 20 years of her life. And then her mom dies. So like, then what? Like, and so she was like saying, okay, if the first 20 years were hell, what are you going to do for the next 80? Assuming that a person human could live a hundred years. If your life, I'm I'm training for 80 right now, Veronica. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So if the first 20 years were hell, what are you going to do for the next, the next 80? And that was like the first time I heard about like, maybe I can recover from the trauma that happened because I, I, I was young. I was 26 when I entered the rooms of recovery, which mm-hmm. at the time, not a lot, not a lot, a lot of young people were like, you're, you're 26. Like, what the fuck? Like I should be like, no, nah, I went, I did recovery at, at 26 and I'm still in, in recovery. You don't see a lot of young people, you know, entering on my side, I'm being affected by the family disease of alcoholism. You, you, you just don't see a lot of young people. So like, um, and the more I'm in recovery and I'm discovering myself of like asking what, what I want, you know, discovering my own sexual orientation, being demisexual and, and my emotional needs. And before like monogamy, I thought, I mean, this is like a total paradigm shift because at the time, like I thought monogamy, that's, that was the way, like the way it, it's the deep, it's the assumed <laughs> thing. Cause that was it, just culturally, of course. Yeah. Communicated. Right. Like yes. monogamy meant safety. Monogamy meant the person was safe. And it, in, it, it, it means that you are not just safe, but it means that you are morally upright. Yeah. 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 Yes. I, so if, there's, I, yeah. if there's any breaks in that, it's like, oh, you're a bad person. Um, oh, um, you probably didn't give your boyfriend enough sex or it, all the things. Like or all, all, all of it. Yes. Like all the things. So 
can, can, can I just interrupt for one second and just yeah. point out this? This is how crazy this is, right? So, <laughs> so first of all, you're there's a lot. You're allowed a little bit of non-monogamy as long as you're looking for the escalator, right? <laughs> but then also, there's this thing called serial monogamy. Mm. Okay, mm-hmm. and so I'll give you an example of this. I, I host these solo salons, and they're they're it's bringing back the old European salon. So it's a social event. There's a cultural event, um, you know, comedy, uh, music, dance, poetry, and so on. Proud singles together. It's not a dating event. Although if people happen to meet and their genitals touch as a result of that, I'm not upset about that. But it's not a, it's not a dating event. Yeah. Um, gay man comes to it. He's in his 60s. Has had a, a lifelong partner for 36 years. They have an open relationship. So they play sexually with other people with consent um, and with disclosure, I believe. And their other gay friends think that that's wrong. Or they're straight friends, actually, probably more so as I think about it. Like that's wrong because you're non-monogamous. And yet those very same friends date someone for one year monogamously break up, meet someone else, date for six months, monogamously break up two years, break up four years, break up. Right. Mm -hmm. And so over the course of 36 years, these two men have been together and have a wonderful relationship happen to play elsewhere. And the friends who are critical of them have had 25 partners. But because they're only touching genitals one partner at a time, that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) It it makes no sense, right? You're just, you're like, I'm just going to make this thing work for me, you know, that's there. And I'm, by the way, I'm not anti-monogamy. I'm not pro-monogamy. I think you should do the thing that is right for you, right? Ask yourself what I want. And then you can ask the world for what that is. For some people, they just can't do it. They just, they have to, yeah. it's one person and that's it. And they, for, for the reasons that you have said and for other types of reasons. And then other people, they can disentangle sex and love. And they, um, you know, they have their rules about condoms and STI checks and disclosure and so on. And it works for them. And so I just have found myself having my, eyes open to this multitude of ways to live a good life romantically, sexually, or beyond without it, um, you know, through creative work, through connection mm-hmm. to community, mm-hmm. to making things, to winning gold medals, to building businesses, to traveling the world. You know, there's, there's a lot of opportunity when you start to free yourself from the, the defaults. Yeah. How have you handled jealousy? Okay, ah. if, if the, okay. If for the, this is audio only we're on a zoom. Uh, Peter is really handsome. He's a good looking guy. <laughs> That's very sweet. Yeah. So Peter is handsome. He's good looking. And he has told me his stance on, you know, I don't want to live with, with a person mm-hmm. and it's like, and, but if you're dating, like, how have you handled 
jealousy because it, it sounds like you. Veronica, I'm tall also. <laughs> Six four? Are you six four or I'm six, six five? Yeah. Oh, so, don't be a heightist, Veronica. I'm not. I'm not. I like tall guys, but it's like fuck, Peter. And like people say that to me, like Veronica, you're so good looking. Like, why are you single? And I know, Veronica, I want your skin. You have such good skin. Please give me your skin. Uh and it's like, look, we're both good-looking people. We're single. We have our reasons. Um, we're tremendously ha- appealing. <laughs> yes. How have you handled jealousy w- okay. with other with other people being jealous of you because, like, you know, you're talking to another woman mm-hmm. or you're, you're involved, but you were involved with another woman. But it's like, you know, there's that and and or other like that jealousy context, but also people being jealous of you. Okay. So I, um, I appreciate this question because it's something I have been thinking about and, and I've always been sort of fortunate that I'm not a terribly jealous person. Like just, I'm just in general, I'm not wired that way per se. And so that gives me, I think a little bit of a leg up. Um, I have dated jealous people and I, I have, and I don't, I, I, I'm not trying to be immodest here, but I'm being honest for all my failings with regard to not being able to give my partners exactly what they want. I'm very present and supportive of them. And so, um, while I have, you know, lots of friendships and lots of things going on when you're with me, you are 100%, you know, in, in that thing. And that does a, that does a lot to, um, quell any jealousy. I'm also very good at making plans. So we always have something that we're looking forward to doing together mm-hmm. in that sense. But the thing that really has taken this idea to the next level for me is an idea that I stole from the polyamorous community. And the word is called compersion. And so if you're polyamorous, you have you you typically have more than one romantic and or sexual relationships, actually more than one romantic relationships. Mm -hmm. Two is the most common number, followed by three, followed by four, et cetera. And the notion of compersion is a big part of this. And it's, and compersion roughly translates into anti-jealousy. So not non-jealousy, but anti-jealousy. And Mm -hmm. what is it? And anti-jealousy is one of the hallmarks of a good friendship in my opinion. So the first one is there's mutual appeal. There's something mutually beneficial about that relationship. That could be a lot of things. Mm -hmm. The second one is that the relationship um, is high integrity, that it's the, 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 the people are trustworthy and reliable. They show up when they're going to show up. They, um, they can, you're trusted to keep your secrets. And then the last one is that they're anti-jealous. That is you celebrate your friends successes and you commiserate their failures. Mm. That is, you're happy when they're happy and you're sad when they're sad. And so translating that into relationships is that, you know, let's say I'm dating someone and I ask them to do something on Friday night and they say, ah, I'm going out with my girlfriends or, oh, I'm seeing someone else, right? Or I just want to be home. I just, I need a quiet night. I'm happy that that's what they're doing because that's what they need to do. 
that's what they want to do. Like, I'm happy that they're going to go out and have fun, you know, with their friends. And so mon like monogamy really gets in the way of this because for them to date someone else is really threatening in that mm -hmm. sense. But mm -hmm. think about how powerful that idea is that I can be so supportive of a friend, of a partner, that I can be happy that they're on a date with someone else because that's bringing them joy, you know, yeah. and I, I want them to be joyful in, in that sense. And if they have a terrible time, I'm unhappy that they had a terrible time, not because it elevates me, but because they didn't have a good, enjoyable experience in that sense. And I just think that that is, that's just such a profoundly provocative idea. And then the last thing I would say is, if you're 100% honest with people, they may not always like what you have to say, but they're going to appreciate you for it because so much of the world is built on at the, at the very least white lies, if not outright lies. And when, especially when it comes to dating. Mm -hmm. And so, um, the person then now has full information. They don't have to, they're not trying to figure out what's going on. They don't have to be super vigilant that there's some, something happening because they can just ask you and you'll tell them this, um, that's there. And that, that suggests a level of sort of confidence and comfort and belief in the strength of the relationship that I think helps dissipate some of some of the jealousy, although let's be honest, it helps if that other person is also a little bit of an unconventional thinker. Yeah. Yeah. I think it just goes back to like, what do you, what do you want? Like if you're constantly jealous, it's like, well, did you ask or did you have that? Did you have those conversations in the first place with your, the partner that, that you're having? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I was watching, um, HBO's in Insecure. Okay. Which I love. I'm like, uh, late late to the party. I know, late to the party, but it's such a good show in that it's very like specific from the perspective of like two uh, black women, one's in a relationship, one's like dating, trying trying to find her her partner, but the one who's in the relationship, she ends up cheating on her boyfriend and but even in her five-year monogamous relationships from episode one, there's like issues. There's, mm -hmm. there's issues. So, and I, I'm watching this after watching, reading um, State of Affairs by Esther Perel and then like watching her. So I have that knowledge and I'm watching, I'm, and then I'm watching Insecure and, you know, they have their act out and, you know, the guy's upset and I guess like, yeah, like cheating is upsetting, but, I'm also thinking like you guys didn't have that conversation. The characters didn't have that conversation mm -hmm. of like, I'm not happy. I'm not getting my needs met. So I'm going to get my needs. I'm like, you know, even in the episode in the dialogue, you know, she was saying like, Oh, I had a, I had a itch, uh, an itch to scratch. And she's telling this to the person that she was cheating with, who was also her ex that she's known like since high school, like just a long-term mm -hmm. like, like partner. So she's trying to dismiss that connection. Like it really wasn't. And it's like, no, that's, that's the person that you need to be with. Like, why are you denying yourself? Yeah, it's true. You know, this is, um, I, I feel bad for people in relationships oftentimes 
mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the escalator sets this relationship to be more important than all others, but it also in many ways requires that person to be your everything, to be your support system, to be your sex partner, to be your yeah. travel partner, to be your housemate, to be your co-provider, to be your co-parent, et cetera, et cetera, right? The list is very long. Mm-hmm. And, and so now you're faced with finding someone who is supposed to be everything. And then if you go outside of the relationship for those other things, it's really threatening to the relationship. As a single person, to bring it back to that, to, as a single person, I have dozens of people who serve those purposes. I have people I travel with, right? I have people that I have sex with. They're not always the same person. I have people I call when I need, um, when I need moral support. You know, I, I have people I, I call when I just want to go out and have fun. I have people I call when I need business advice. And, um, and so as a result, I have this rich, diverse group of wonderful people uh, in my life who, um, who are there for me as needed, and I'm there for them as needed. And what's really nice about it, if one of them goes away for whatever reason, I, my whole world doesn't collapse. And so that's a very empowering sort of communal approach to living a remarkable life rather than this, you know, all, all the eggs in one basket. And, you know, sometimes that basket walks into the living room one day and says, I want a divorce. Yeah. And it's, you know, it can be life shattering because because that other person has no one else. They've isolated themselves. They have no one else to, um, to, to really rely on or very few people to. And, and many of the people are like, oh, I haven't seen you for 10 years because you dumped me. You dumped our friendship, you know, <laughs> when Lisa or when Larry came along. Yeah. You know, and... Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's like, yeah. yeah, oh, you only call me when you get dumped. <laughs> Look, I've had that conversation with people. I said, I'm here for you, but I just need to point out that you disappeared on me. Wow. And and I I think there is some perversity to the, the following idea. You have a girlfriend, you have a guy friend, you're thick as thieves. You've been friends for 10 years, 20 years. They start dating someone new just because they're touching genitals, they disappear on you because that relationship now is more important. I I just think that's wrong. I'll be perfectly honest. So my, it's hurtful. Yeah. My relationship. And and look again, these are not bad people. I just want to be clear. It's not, it's, they're just defaulting into something. They don't even see how it's a problem, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, My relationships have become really flat. That is like, I, I try to remove as much hierarchy as possible from mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we were talking earlier about these sort of unconventional relationships or, or alternative ways to go about doing this. One of my favorite ideas, it's a very poorly named idea, um, but it came up in the podcast. It's called relationship anarchy. 
I, I think the better term for it would be relationship design. Mm-hmm. But the idea behind relationship anarchy is a fairly new idea is that the people in the relationship determine the rules of the relationship. That is, you have conversations about what are the expectations around these things. Mm-hmm. So, so it may be that you agree that this is the most important relationship. Or you may say, I'm not going to make this more important than my close friends, you know, or to my sibling or, mm-hmm. you know, in that mm-hmm. thing. So now the average person really struggles enacting a relationship design because you have to ask for what you want and the person yeah. has to agree. Mm-hmm. But if you can do it, um, you can have a really powerful connection with someone because you've opted in rather than defaulted in to these things. And that's really, for me, the Holy grail. Um, I actually just started seeing someone and I, I, I proposed to her, can we try this? And she's open-minded about it. And so, you know, we're sort of dipping our toe into what this might look like and feel like. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty good. So we're towards the end of the podcast, but before we close, what, um, when people ask me, why are you single? Uh, what would my response be? And instead of me being like, oh, fuck. It's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what's even worse about that, um, is that it, the way it gets phrased is like, Veronica, you're so great. Why are you still single? And so I can't take credit for this answer. I, I have to attribute it to Chris Marsh. So Chris is a, um, has been a guest on the podcast. She is a sociologist at the University of Maryland. She has, we had a really wonderful conversation called um, the Love Jones Cohort. I think it was Meet the Love Jones Cohort. It's about essentially this alternative path to middle-class living in the black community. And that is through single living. And Chris, when she gets asked that question, she, she just goes, what do you mean by that? Oh, <laughs> she, she just said, what do you, what do you mean by that? And then, and then, and I said, well, what happens next? And she says, well, they go, well, you know, you know, and you go, no, I don't know. What do you mean by that? And it snaps them immediately out of this what is often, I think, really well-intentioned, but a bit of a naive question. It presumes a lot. It presumes that you don't want to be single, for example. And yeah. we know that half of single adults want to be single. Yeah. And then it, 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 in some ways, is a little backhanded. Like, what's wrong with you? Why can't you do this? And so you just simply yes. put it back on them. <gasps> what do you mean by that? Oh. And they will change the subject on you. Oh. Okay, I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> I'm gonna pu- put it on my um, uh, in my background. You can see it in the corner. This is my affirmations. Wall. Yes, I do. <laughs> so I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna put on that. Oh, oh my god! So I've had such a good time talking with you, Peter. Um, I feel that I f- I found a fellow solo person. Yes. In this sea of like, I am ah. your ally. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for being an ally. Thank you for creating the solo community and um, looking forward to other episodes of the solo podcast. And 
on on that note, where can people find you? I think, you know, I did this whole <laughs> I did this whole pivot on my website. So just go to petermcgraw.org and uh, you can find everything there. You can find the application for the solo community. You can find podcast episodes. You can find out when the next solo salon is. And then also my newly launched project, A Single Insight, The Science of Solos, which is designed to speak to businesses about the special needs, wants, and desires that singles have. Mm -hmm. as they live their remarkable lives. Awesome. And people could find me at my website, vcomedy.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. You can find all my social media links on there. If anyone, uh, I'm also on Cameo. If anyone needs a personal video message from me, get me on Cameo. Um, And on that part, um, thank you. Thank you again, Peter, for being on the podcast. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, Give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get those podcasts. Leave a review. It really helps the pod. Thank you so much. Cheers. Cheers.